Let's pray. Awesome God, we thank you. I mean, even the testimonies today and the songs in the worship, I thank you, Lord, that you're a God that you can unburden. No matter what you're feeling, no matter where you are, your situation, you're always there to hear us. And you're such a good God to deliver us, Father. You don't leave us where we are, but you take us up so much higher than we ever thought we could ever be. Lord, as I deliver this message, I pray your servant humble his heart. I pray the words that you hear are the Holy Spirit speaking through your servant. And Lord, energize these words. Energize these words to touch hearts. As we're going to hear about today, Jeremiah speaks of God writing his laws onto our hearts. Lord, your living Holy Spirit and your living word is alive in us. It sets us afire. So, Lord, let your will be done as this word is delivered. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So, good morning, Lighthouse. This morning, I want us to look at why we should all be falling at Jesus' feet. And those are sort of spearheaded that a bit with uh, worship, praise yes. God. Um, yes. Definitely a, a session where we should be falling at our feet in worship. So this has happened a number of times in the Bible, and I want us to look at the significance of this action, and it's relevant to us as believers today. So firstly, what is the significance of falling at someone's feet? Let's look at some situations or scenarios where someone could fall to another's feet. So, we could do so accidentally. We could do so being in awe of the person, being defeated by the person, showing loyalty to them, or petitioning them, or showing reverence to them. Working through these, we might fall at someone's feet by accident, not intentionally. We just lost our footing, were knocked down, or knocked over by someone or something. We might fall at someone's feet in awe or adoration while meeting our greatest hero, pop star, or celebrity. This is not that common now, but might still happen sometimes, like when a devout Catholic meets the Pope. Now, back in the days in the 60s, not that I was there. Um, don't let the grey hair fool you, please. Um, there was that madness with the Beatles, wasn't it? And the girls just, you know, screaming away. Thankfully, that don't happen anymore. But as I said, it doesn't happen that much now. In the past, a defeated foe was forced to fall at the feet of their victors, So this was not by choice, and the person is forced to submit and surrender to the conquerors. They they must show compliance and were forced to pledge allegiance to their conquerors or be put to certain death. Some were still killed to show the dominance of the conqueror and to quash any future rebellion. So falling at someone's feet in this situation was to break someone's will and spirit, not a positive experience. It could be as a sign of loyalty, a person might willingly fall at the feet of another, offering themselves and their service to that person, like the knights of old, pledging their allegiance to their new sovereign. <coughs> this still happens to a certain extent in modern times when individuals or some government, ser- government services pledge their allegiance to the queen. A person might fall at someone's feet in petition for something for themselves or others. They might be asking or begging for mercy or pledging for someone's case. Pleading, I should say. 
They might also be seeking protection, refuge or provision. In this situation, the person falling at the feet of another is normally seeking a resolution to a dire situation. Finally, a person could fall to another's feet out of reverence for their authority, power or influence. So we might still do this in the presence of royalty, e.g. the Queen. So a few of these situations were willingly and intentional. A couple were unintentional and perhaps unwillingly. But it shows there are a number of reasons why someone would fall at someone's feet. So what does the Bible have to say on this? The Old Testament. Good place to start. There are many occurrences of people falling to the ground in the presence of God in the Old Testament. Abraham and Moses fell to their knees in God's presence. It was a sign of acknowledgement to his holiness, righteousness, purity and overwhelming glory. Whereas God the Father has no physical form as such, we cannot say these individuals fell at God's feet. So my focus today will be on those events in regard to Jesus, the Son of God. So who in the Bible fell at Jesus' feet? Don't know if you can make that out. Can you see? Right. Just for the sake of the recording. I've got 15 references. Matthew 2.11, where the three wise men did. Matthew 28.9, where Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and Mary Magdalene saw the resurrected Christ. Mark 3.11, where Jesus encountered unclean spirits. Mark 5.6 and Luke 8.28, where the demon-possessed man encountered Jesus. Mark 5.22 and Luke 8.41, where Jairus, the synagogue ruler, came to Jesus. Mark 5.33, where the woman with a blood issue encountered Jesus. Mark 7.25, the Gentile woman with a uh, possessed daughter. Mark 9.20, the boy with the unclean spirit. I think the father uh, came on his behalf in that respect. Luke 5.8, Peter, the apostle Peter. Luke 5.12, a leper. Luke 7, 36-50, the woman who weeps at Jesus' feet, who we will be expanding on further today. Luke 17, 16, the Samaritan, who was one of ten lepers. John eleven thirty two, Mary, the Martha's sister. John 18, verse 6, the soldiers who tried to arrest Jesus. And Revelations 1, 17, the Apostle John. So 15 occurrences of people or evil spirits falling to the feet of Jesus the Son of God and our Lord Saviour. So there was the three wise men right at the top. Mary Magdalene and Mary... Oh, we've, we've done that, so we've got... But also there were those who were coming to Jesus on behalf of another who could not help themselves. So why did people fall at Jesus' feet? First to fall at the feet of Jesus are the three wise men who visited and looked upon baby Jesus, bearing their gifts and worshipped him. And once Jesus began his ministry, every time he encountered an evil spirit, they had no choice but to fall down before him or flee. Evil spirits fell at Jesus' feet as they knew their time had come. They knew they were defeated and could only beg for mercy as Jesus dealt with them. The possessed man fell at Jesus' feet in submission to his power and authority. But once Jesus drove the demon out of the man, he sat down at Jesus' feet out of love and respect, ready to serve his saviour. Others show reverence to his power, authority and influence. Jarius and the bleeding woman fell at his feet in respect of his authority. 
Even Gentiles recognised Jesus' power and authority and humbled themselves by begging or pleading to ensure Jesus would respond to their need. Jesus, always going the extra mile, even healed a Samaritan leper, a foreigner to his people, and who was the only one out of ten lepers who Jesus showed, who Jesus showed mercy to. He was the only one to respond to his healing and came back to worship and give thanks to Jesus. The woman who washed his feet with, his, with her hair showed great humility and adoration for Jesus, as did Mary, Martha and Lazarus' sister, known for sitting at Jesus' feet. Mary also fell at his feet in despair at the time of Lazarus' death. Some fell at Jesus' feet to indicate their loyalty to him. Others fell at, Jesus, at his feet as they were seeking his mercy, grace or protection. Peter, after doubting Jesus' advice to catch fish, falls at Jesus' feet to repent. Some had no choice but to fall to their feet at his authority, like the soldiers at Gethsemane, who before his arrest asked, asked Jesus, Are you Jesus of Nazareth? When he responded, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Even unseen and unrespected, they had no choice but to acknowledge his authority power and influence over them. We need to be careful whose feet we fall down at. Many people in the Bible fell at an angel's feet, but they were told not to, for the angel understood they were only there under the authority and instruction of God. Peter did the same with Cornelius, the Roman centurion. When he did it to him, and he corrected him, and gave all the glory to God. So now we've explored some of the reasons why someone would have fallen at the feet of Jesus. So let's look at the scriptures. And we're going to focus on today, Luke 7, from verse 36 and going on to verse 50. I'm reading from the Amplified, so just follow me best you can. One One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee and reclined at the table. Now there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner. And when she found out that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she bought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears and wiping them with the hair of her head and respectfully kissed his feet as an act signifying both affection and submission, and anointed them with the perfume. Now when Simon the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, that she is a notorious sinner, an outcast devoted to sin. Jesus answering said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Teacher, say it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When he had no means of repaying the debts, he freely forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I take it from whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you have decided correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend to me the usual courtesies shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. 
You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly and weird perfume. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were reclined at the table with him began saying among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace, free from the distress experienced because of sin. don't know if you can see that properly. It's a pity. Um, but that is uh, one of the depictions of the woman wiping his feet with her hair. But take note of the reactions of the other people around Jesus. They're all frowning and looking around the corner thinking, is that, is that, why is that person here? They're not being very approving there. Luke notes this woman was a notorious sinner. Her sins being well known across the city. Everyone knew who she was and what she was. But she came and bowed down in repentance and submission at Jesus' feet. She made the effort to come to this affair to see Jesus, knowing she would not be invited or wanted, and endures the sneers and remarks of the many people who were there who did not approve of her so she could fulfill this very kind and humble act for Jesus. She puts aside her pride and what other people may think or say, and she goes with what her heart yearns to do for Jesus. She did not make a fuss or try to him. Her intention was clear, and she came prepared. She started off behind Jesus at his feet and was weeping all this time to the extent she could wipe his feet with her tears again sorry the images aren't that clear today for me she then continues to wipe his feet with her hair now ladies how many of you would wipe your hair on your husband's feet <laughs> yeah I thought so <laughs> alright okay that's your husband's feet yeah all right, what about a man you hardly know? No, no, no. no. I think the number would be very, 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 very low. Yes. Non-existent even, yeah? Yes. Right, anyhow, let's, back to, let's get back to the preach. But she did not stop there. She then carefully and respectfully kissed his feet. A very submissive action. And finally anointed his feet with the perfume she had brought with her. And as the Amplified showed, it was rare and expensive. Now, ladies, you don't, again, part with very rare or expensive perfume lightly. No. no. At his feet, she offered her love to him in service. Now, let's look at the second person in this story, Simon the Pharisee. He seems to be a prideful man and invites Jesus to dinner with other guests. But as we have read, he has not honoured Jesus in his invitation all being a good host to him. Offering foot washing to guests was a very familiar custom for Jewish people for thousands of years. And to not offer it was to dishonour your guest. It was unlikely that Simon had forgotten to show this courtesy to Jesus. As a Pharisee assumed his relationship with God was fine, as he was an upstanding member of the community, he looked upon this woman... And Jesus allowing her to do what she did to him with disapproval. Jesus, knowing Simon's thoughts and seeing his disapproval, rebukes him 
by sharing the parable of the two debtors and highlights Simon's hosting skills were lacking. Jesus' parable was speaking about the woman and Simon. Both had a debt only Jesus could pay, regardless of how much debt each one had acquired in their lifetime. But despite our debt to Jesus, we must never forget to love him or others through him. He has not condemned Simon, but he has made clear that no one has the right to condemn anyone, despite the many sins they may have committed, if they have truly repented and given their life to Jesus. Throughout this whole scene, the woman at Jesus' feet does not say one word. Notice that? Not one word. She doesn't defend herself. She doesn't retaliate. She doesn't say one word. Neither does she ask Jesus for anything. Again, went there with an intent. Most people, when they go to go and see Jesus, they want something. They're going to ask for something. She asks for nothing. But Jesus knows exactly what she needs and forgives her many sins. Jesus commends the woman for her actions and the love she has shown him. He confirms her faith has brought her to salvation in him. We must avoid thinking or acting like Simon the Pharisee, or we may miss moments where we could fall at our Savior's feet and be of service to him. Her heart had been truly given over to Jesus. The verses we noted earlier showed six other people falling at Jesus' feet during his ministry. So there was Jairus, a synagogue ruler, the woman with the blood issue, the Gentile woman with a possessed daughter, Peter after that and Jesus' command on fishing, a healed leper who was a Samaritan, and Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Some of these incidents happened before Jesus had done any healings or miracles for these individuals. In faith, they acknowledged his authority to heal by God's hand or meet their need, but probably did not acknowledge him as their saviour. In one instance, he just told the person who fell at his feet their loved one was healed and they trusted his word and returned to their loved one. The woman who wept at his feet, who we are looking at today, maybe was not expecting to receive deliverance and freedom from Jesus, but her actions provided a way for this to happen. There is a second instance of Jesus being anointed with perfume by Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus in Bethany at Simon the leper's house. But this happened after Jesus had resurrected Lazarus from the dead within the Passion Week, the last week of his life. It's interesting, when I was doing my studies, how lots of people tried to put those two Marys together. And so when you really look at the scriptures, you can't, because one happened way at the beginning of his ministry, the other towards the end. So don't get confused, and it's not Mary Magdalene, it's Mary, the sister of Martha, in that instance. Because she does, again, in that account, wipe, her, wipe his feet with her hair, but then that account also says she anoints his head and not his feet. So just be wary about conf- uh, confusing scripture sometimes. Lots of familiar things. Mary is the same, Simon's the same, but it's a different Simon, and this is a different Mary. So Mary's act, Mary the sister of Martha and Lazarus, is reflected in three of the four Gospels, Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13, Mark 14, verses 3 to 9, and John 12, verses 2 to 11. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and Mary Magdalene were also one of the first to see Jesus after his resurrection. Their first reaction was to fall at his feet and worship him. The disciple John loved, no, the disciple Jesus loved John 
also encountered Jesus after his resurrection, while in exile on the island of Patmos, and in the presence fell at his feet. Like so many others, like Paul, many are still falling to his feet as they encountered incredible, overwhelming forgiveness, love, grace, mercy, and power of God. They understood who Jesus is. He is God and acted appropriately. He is God and acted appropriately in his presence. They noted he was their king and savior, worthy of their praise and adoration. Jesus is our king, the ultimate sovereign ruler, whose kingdom does goes beyond natural and physical boundaries, even beyond time itself. There is no other ruler before him now or after he returns in his full glory. And he had not yet lifted a finger to help either, but they knew and had faith that he could and would. It is one thing to know someone has the power and ability to help you. It's another to know that someone had the will and would help you. People saw by Jesus' actions and words that he would help people, no matter the circumstances, who they were in position, status, deed, gender, age, race, or if they were demon-possessed. It was normally their faith and their circumstances that touched Jesus and his compassion for his people, God's children, his brothers and sisters in God's kingdom. In Jesus' time, some believed they had to touch Jesus physically for his power to heal them. Jesus showed many times that he did not have to touch someone physically to heal them, but he had to touch their hearts and minds that they had faith and believed he had the power, but most of all, the will to do what they believed he could do. I believe Jesus still does this today in our lives, continuing to touch our hearts and our minds to further believe and experience his love, grace and mercy, and in the lives of those around us and those he has called and is calling into his kingdom. So what does falling at Jesus' feet mean for us? The story of the woman who washed Jesus' feet over here shows her great humility and her great adoration for what Jesus could do for her. It powerfully shows where her heart was for Jesus and highlighted the hardness of others who just did not get where Jesus was coming from. Falling at Jesus' feet shows you have been enlightened to who he is and what he can do. It also shows humility. She kissed his feet in adoration and Jesus did not withdraw or rebuked her for her actions, which everyone else expected him to do. She realised the great mercies he had shown her. This showed great non-sexual intimacy towards Jesus, that this person completely trusted him and would do anything for him. Some of us might only touch someone else's feet if we are helping them on with their socks or stockings. True? Yeah. I can hear by the giggles. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Apart from that, we hardly ever touch one another's feet. Why are people so funny about feet? You can catch more from an airborne virus sneezing and coughing than you can from feet. Remember back in Jesus' day, people wore open-toe sandals and walked many miles on dusty and dirty roads. This did not put this woman off. She was determined to show Jesus a great kindness while she could and had opportunity to do so. Proverbs 15, verse 33 says, 
The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility towards God will bring honor first to him and to you as God blesses you for your humility. A quote from J.C. Riley: Pride is the oldest and most common of sins. Humility is the rarest and most beautiful of graces. Luke 14 verse 11 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Many scriptures note that if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. Humility in God shows broken people living in the strength and security of God's love and protection. C.H. Spurgeon once said, Every Christian has a choice between being humble and being humbled. Very true. I found that extremely at the beginning of my walk with God. Broke a lot of stuff away from me. Still doing it. It's still getting me to get down on my knees in some respects. But it's better to start being humble yourself than waiting for God to do it. When I humble myself before him, I know he always wants the best for me. And he will not let anything separate us or harm me or our relationship. Falling at his feet acknowledges his authority over her. Remember the parable Jesus told of the servant who owed money, and when the master came to collect, he threw himself at his feet, begging for mercy, in Matthew 18, verse, from verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do every one of you will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Just something I've noticed there. Notice the difference. The first servant owed him a hundred no a thousand ten thousand talents. That's a really big debt. Ten thousand talents. Monday conversion, what we look at? Millions, maybe? Monday terms. So looking at the second servant who owed this man money, it's not even talents, it's denarii. Different currency altogether. And he owes him how much? A hundred denarii. So Monday terms, maybe a thousand. A thousand million. 
yeah, I'm not surprised the master's pretty mixed <laughs> on that one. Yeah. Servant was forgiven, the first servant. But then when he was given the opportunity to show mercy, treated a person he had authority over badly. When his master heard of this, it did not go end well for his ungrateful servant. The master was angry with his servant because he did not realize or appreciate the great mercies and debt he had been released from. The master was displeased that the person in debt did not sympathize or show any compassion to the one who owed him a debt. Micah 6 verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? God has shown me more and more as I follow him and remain obedient to his will that more of myself needs to die. Putting God first will mean we put, our, put a lot of ourselves, preferences, attitudes, weaknesses and fears aside for his glory. A godly act of submission is a willingness to pay any price and do whatever God asks. A quote from Francis Chan. God, interrupt whatever we are doing so that we can join you in what you're doing. I like that quote. Because so many times I go ahead, but am I doing what God is asking me to do? Or am I going with what I want to do? The two don't normally tally unless God is leading me. The surrendered heart will always equal a surrendered servant heart people who truly allow God to write his laws on their hearts will always follow him no matter what their emotions, circumstances or mind is telling them they will wholeheartedly love and follow Jesus no matter what he tells them to do or endure God first wrote his laws on stone tablets in my opinion and I do stress this is opinion not biblical this represents permanency as anything in stone endures much longer than anything else, such as paper or metals. But also be warned, I think the stone might in fact par- parallel the hardness of our hearts. Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 33, talks about God's law being written on our hearts. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah says God tries to write his law on our hearts, but they are like stone, cold, hard, and refuse the law God needs for us to follow and obey. Now, before we all start feeling condemnation, I'm just saying, (coughs) Jeremiah, this is Old Testament. Remember the context, the Israelites are very hard-hearted. I'm just saying it could be a parallel of sometimes how our hearts are with Jesus. Why does God write it on our hearts? That is his law. It's simple. That is where all our desires stem from. So he now writes his laws directly to the source where everything begins for us and will end for us if we make the wrong decisions. But now God has shown his salvation to those he has called throughout time. He makes those hearts of stone become hearts of flesh pliable and usable for his will. Hearts that will obey, but also enjoy the most intimate, deep and loving relationship an individual can have with another person. More intimate than a lover, wife, husband, mother, father, 
brother, sister, Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> I'm just making sure you guys are awake. A relationship beyond our understanding or comprehension. It is the greatest relationship we will ever have in our existence. We literally walk with God in his very presence. And the more we feel and experience and succumb to his presence, the more inclined we are to fall at his feet in awe and wonder. Just to add, like I was saying with the testimony, sometimes we say God is good. But in here, we're just saying the words. We're not meaning it. But when I heard when I had that good news on Wednesday, it hit me like a brick wall. It's like you're running, and there's like, boom, and you're on your back. And sometimes God has to put you down on the floor to realize how good He is. Amen. All the world can offer is below. So, I need to show you. I didn't show it. So, all the world that can offer is fleeting and can be stripped away. I've got a few pointers on what the world can offer power, but it's not true power. Wealth, but it's not true wealth. Health, but it's not true health. How many people throughout the ages have looked for immortality? And I'm not talking about all of you, Lay. I'm talking about people trying to live forever. Health. Fame, which is fleeting. That's why we have so many people now who are famous for two seconds, and then you can't... I can't remember the last pop group that was made by Pop Idol or one of those shows now, because it don't mean nothing. Fame is fleeting. Beauty. This applies to men and women, so don't think it's only women. Beauty, again, is fleeting. A beautiful heart lasts longer than a beautiful face. And physical pleasure. Whatever that may be, playing golf, driving a car, loving your wife, but it's fleeting. Nothing in this world can compare to Jesus. What he can and does offer us never fades never wears out, never abandoned us, will never be taken away and can ever be lost. All these things can happen to what the world offers. None of these will happen to us in Jesus. God instigates, God maintains, and God provides everything to ensure we remain in his hands. A quote from C.H. Spurgeon. I have a great need for Christ. I have a great Christ for my need. We must never forget the debt Jesus redeemed us from. Eternal death and separation from God's presence. A debt we could never repay. Like a bond servant, we would have remained servants to darkness and death. Now through him, we are his servants. Servants to life and light in him. Here is something God showed me to help us focus on what we have shared today. I crumble. All right, it should say flow, but the W's dropped off. <laughs> so I'll read it out. Forgiveness. 
To understand and appreciate God's great forgiveness. So we need to continue to ask God to help you to understand and appreciate his great forgiveness that leads to repentance and salvation. That God has shown his chosen ones, his children. Continue to love God more than anything else in the world. That's L for love. He gave up everything for us. We need to give up everything for him, as it says in Luke 9, verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Oh, God honours true obedience to him. As this shows powerfully how much we love him when he asks more of us that we can do without his power in our life. Now again, like my personal testimony, even though I didn't think I had a shot at that job, I still prepared. I didn't give up. I got the presentation ready. I got my answers ready for the, for the interview. I didn't take it glibly. God has given me that opportunity. I was going to make sure I did the best to, to do that opportunity, regardless of the outcome. Obedience. Obedience means sacrifice, it takes time, but it's worth it. Worship God with everything in your life. This is more than just singing on a Sunday service. Please, church, I hope no one still thinks worship is singing on a Sunday morning. It goes beyond, well beyond that remit. Worship God with everything in our lives, in our hearts, in our joy, in our peace, and even in our troubles. You can still worship God even when you're down on your feet and have nothing else to offer him. Again, I'll have to read that out. So in summary, there are many reasons why someone would, would have fallen at Jesus' feet, such as in adoration of him, in awe of him, in fear of him, in humility, submission, or surrender before him, in sorrow, in repentance, in reverence of him, seeking his mercy or forgiveness, showing loyalty to him, to petition him for something, or to give thanks to him. These are all still relevant for us as believers today. <clears throat> Worship brings glory to God, honours him and lifts his name on high. It should be an expression of gratitude to God for what he has done. We can start with these to understand why the woman fell at Jesus' feet. Again, I also understand why she was crying as well now. Because sometimes that's when God hits you with that overwhelming grace and love, you can but cry. The woman who wept on Jesus' feet cried tears of joy and adoration. She's not crying in pain or sorrow. It's joy and adoration for her master. For he could deliver her from her sins and into a very new life. Free from condemnation, for she knew he was the saviour. And no one could take that knowledge or joy from her. So I pray, Lighthouse, may we continually seek God's strength to build us up in humility so we can enjoy and appreciate God's overwhelming love, grace and mercy towards us and those we hold dear. My hope and prayer for you all is that God through his Holy Spirit inspire you to fall at his feet again and again and again so you may deliver, develop a deeper, more intimate relationship with him and with others through him. May we never forget the insurmountable debt Jesus paid the price for 
to ensure our salvation and assure that we would be with him forever in his kingdom. Amen. Amen.